0: Ladies and gentlemen, this has caught my attention. Let's pay close attention to this.
1: Michael Blackson. Comedian Michael Blackson is one of the most successful comedians in America. Born in West Africa, Michael Blackson is the self-dubbed African king of comedy. All this thanks to his performances and comedy specials. On Instagram alone, he has more than 4.7 million followers who support his work as a comedian. The funny man has warmed hearts of many with his jokes and performances. He's produced and appeared in several shows that include Welcome to America, TV series 30 Rock, P. Diddy presents the bad boys of comedy, among others. His fame and money have enabled the comedian to date some of the most beautiful women in America. These women come in all shapes and sizes, just join us as we bring you the beautiful women comedian Michael Blackson has dated. Give us a like and subscribe to our channel to watch other interesting videos. Georgia Rain There's never a dull moment in Michael Blackson's life He's a jovial person who everyone wants to hang out with Jackson was romantically involved with Grammy-nominated singer-songwriter Georgia Rain. The couple met in one of his shows and the comedian was amazed by her beauty. She asked her out on a date and she said yes. After only a few weeks of dating, the lovely couple moved in together. Michael treated her to the luxuries of this world and made sure she got everything she needed. The lovely couple had wonderful PDA and their fans loved them. However, as time went by, Georgia Rain could not take his cheating ways anymore and they separated. She went on to date fitness trainer, Victoria Kamani. Another beautiful woman Michael Blackson dated is Victoria Kamani, a singer by profession. When they first met, Michael Blackson openly sniffed Victoria's armpits, revealing that the Kenyan hitmaker smelled nice, nicer than anything he's ever smelled before. They had a good time together and they would openly flirt with each other on social media. Victoria took to social media to open up about her new flame. International comedian Michael Blackson. She also shared a picture of herself in bed with the gifted comedian. In the picture, she was laced with everything Versace, lying on Michael Blackson's chest, counting dollar bills. The couple have gone quiet about their relationship. We don't know if they're still dating. Ashanti, American African king of comedy, Michael Blackson, was also romantically linked to singer Ashanti. After parting ways with the Nelly, she had... After parting ways with Nelly, she'd been spotted several times with Michael Blackson. They've never disclosed how they first crossed paths. Ashanti invited him for the launch of her new swimwear collection with Pretty Little Thing, and he referred to him as the homie. After the party, they left in. After the party, they left in Michael's 2019 Rolls Royce truck for an undisclosed location. The couple looked happy as they posed for pictures during the event. Miss Rada. Another beautiful woman Michael Blackson dated was Miss Rada, a beautiful woman and she was curvy too. Just how did their fans know that they were dating? Miss Rada shared a pic of themselves enjoying a splash and an intimate moment together in a pool. She went on to share photos of them enjoying each other's company. They went out for parties together and at one time she shared a photo they had taken with 50 Cent and his model girlfriend Cuban Link. The comedian treated her like the queen that she is, spoiling her with expensive gifts and taking her out for holidays. The couple are still dating and have some time of their lives together. London Delicious Charles. Michael Blackson was also romantically involved with model London Delicious Charles. The two lovebirds are said to have met in one of the artist's events and went on to have several dates. Their love life was full of drama as her ex-boyfriend at one time attacked Michael when he'd gone to see her. The couple enjoyed every moment of their short-lived relationship. It lasted a little bit of time. Their relationship was only on the rocks for a month And when Blackson got what he wanted, they went their separate ways. Thanks for watching. Subscribe to watch other interesting videos.
0: Boy, boy, boy. Mm, mm, mm. Ashanti dated him. Love him, mustard. Not only that, when I was on Instagram, (laughs) Michael Blackson was something else during the pandemic. I watched one of his lives, and I commented uh, I needed $200 just playing, you know. Come to find out, he started asking for $200 after that. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome this number one top interview. This guy here stands alone, and he is deceased. So, respects to this guy. Mr. Louis Armstrong.
2: family called the Kronoskys. And at night he made other rounds through the red light district selling buckets of coal. But the Kronoskys provided a rare... Behind Louis Armstrong's career success and fame there was tragedy. The man nicknamed Pops and Satchmo didn't have an easy life by any stretch of the imagination. And even as he was taking the stage and wowing fans he struggled. Here's the tragic real-life story of Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong was born on August 4, 1901 and grew up in an insanely tough New Orleans neighborhood called the Battlefield. Abandoned by his father as a small child and raised by his single mother, Armstrong and his family struggled to get by. In his memoirs, Armstrong detailed abject poverty, describing how he and his sister would have to go into the better parts of town and scavenge through dumpsters for food. He also began working at the age of six, scavenging for scrap metal, bones, rags, and bottles alongside the children of a local Jewish family called the Kronofskys. And at night, he made other rounds, through the red light district selling buckets of coal. But the Kronofskys provided a rare ray of light in his young life, regularly inviting him to dinner and treating him with kindness. According to history, as an adult, Armstrong regularly wore a Star of David in tribute to the Jewish family who had welcomed him into their home and their lives. Just how and when Armstrong began playing the trumpet is a matter of some debate. He often cited a stint in a juvenile detention center at age 11 as the start of his love of music, as the band director took Armstrong under his wing and gave him his first cornet. But Armstrong also wrote in his memoir that his first performances were much earlier, blowing a tin horn to attract customers to the Karnofsky's peddler wagon. Whatever the case, music soon proved to be his ticket to a better life, but not an easier one. The Mob Museum says that Prohibition, Jazz, and the Mob all went hand in hand. The Mafia owned the clubs and made sure there was booze, and Jazz musicians provided the perfect musical accompaniment to the evening's revelries. Armstrong did his best to stay away from Mob establishments, but the Mob had different ideas. According to biographer Terry Teachout, in 1931, a mobster named Frankie Foster pulled a gun on Armstrong in Chicago and told him to play a gig the next day, in New York. Armstrong ultimately fled to Europe to escape problems with the mob, but when he finally returned he ultimately threw in with Joe Glazer, who ran nightclubs for Al Capone. What developed was a mutually beneficial relationship. Glazer protected Armstrong, and Armstrong packed the house. Another reason Armstrong went to Europe may have been his trouble with the law in the Jim Crow South. In 1931, he was arrested for sitting next to a white woman on a bus, even though that woman was the wife of his manager. Armstrong and his whole band spent the night in jail, but the next night they played a gig and dedicated the first song to the Memphis Police Department. The song? I'll be glad when you're dead, you rascal, you. Even though some of those police officers were in the crowd and were actually members of the Ku Klux Klan, Armstrong not only got away with it, they even thanked him for the onstage mention. Why? Well, Armstrong had a trick to disarm racists. He always made sure to play a particular song called When It's Sleepy Time Down South which was a romanticized anthem to the days of the slave-owning South. Not everyone appreciated Armstrong's outlook on things, though, and during the civil rights era of the 1950s and 1960s, he was attacked by both sides, sometimes all too literally. In February 1957, for instance, someone drove by the venue where Armstrong was playing and threw a stick of dynamite. It caused an explosion so loud some people heard it five miles away, but Armstrong was unharmed and unfazed. He later told reporters, The horn don't dig those race troubles. Members of the African-American community also criticized Armstrong, though. According to the New York Times, fellow jazz legend Miles Davis said, I love the way Louis played trumpet man, but I hated the way he had to grin to get over with some tired white folks. Though Armstrong strongly criticized the government over segregation, he also served as a goodwill ambassador for the State Department at the same time, leading some to consider him a sellout. But as his very pointed words to Ebony magazine make abundantly clear, Armstrong never lost sight of who he was and where and when he was. He also took a stand towards equality and integration when he refused to perform in his birthplace of New Orleans after they passed a the law in 1955 banning integrated bands. He told Ebony, I can't even play in my own hometown because I've got white cats in the band. All I'd have to do is take all colored cats down there and I could make a million bucks. But the hell with the money. If we can't play down there like we play everywhere else we go, we don't play. If my people don't dig me the way I am, I'm sorry. According to history, Armstrong played the horn with such force that he regularly split his lips open and had to use a special cream to protect them. In fact, his lips were also covered with such hard calluses that he regularly used a razor blade to remove the worst of the scar tissue. Worst of all though is what is now known as Satchmo syndrome, a potentially career-ending injury that happens when lip muscles rupture. Armstrong suffered just such an injury at one point in his career and had to take a year off from performing to recover. There were some health issues though that he couldn't recover from so easily. During a European tour in 1959, Armstrong suffered a serious heart attack. Over the next few years, he began experiencing swelling in his legs due to poor circulation and a steadily worsening heart condition. By 1964, his gallbladder, kidneys, and liver were failing. He finally sought treatment in 1968 and spent the next year bedridden. After emergency surgery, he was eventually able to perform again, but only briefly. He suffered another heart attack and passed away in his sleep two months later, on July 6, 1971. Armstrong left behind an unparalleled musical legacy, but he also left behind a legacy of another kind, a daughter named Sharon Preston Fulta, whose existence was kept secret for many years until she finally came forward with the shocking truth. Sharon was born in 1955, but not to any of Armstrong's four wives. Instead, her mother was a dancer by the name of Lucille Preston, whom Armstrong had a long affair with.
0: He was married at that time, but he made space
2: for us. Preston finally ended things in 1967 after Armstrong refused to marry her, but he continued to provide financial support for Sharon until his death. In one of his final letters, he wrote, Sharon may not realize now what I mean to her and doing for her, but I'm sure as she matures, she'll dig pops as the man who will be loving her until the day he dies or she dies. That's sincerity and from the heart stuff. Check out one of our newest videos right here. Plus, even more Grunge videos about your favorite stuff are coming soon.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Louis Armstrong and Shine. In 1942, here's a rare selection.
1: Rent or buy.
0: And it's starting in just a moment.
3: Just because my teeth are pretty Oh, just because I always wear a smile like to dress up in the ladies' style Just because I'm glad I'm living Takes all my trouble, all with a smile Just because my color's shady Makes no different, baby That's why they call me Shine we
0: how cute okay um let's see if we can find something about stevie wonder next i think he would enjoy this podcast i am dedicating my podcast to the one and only living legend mr stevie wonder and ladies and gentlemen just as promised we have a Number one interview with Stevie Wonder in it, and I hope you enjoy. In five, four, three, two, one.
4: Talking with Stevie Wonder. May I call you Stevie or Whatever you
3: prefer.
4: Mr. Wonder uh-huh. or <laughs> I buy your records? Just, and
3: just don't call me George Swartz.
4: <laughs> that, as you know, is his real name. No. Hey, you don't want to get hit upside the head. No, no. I, it's one of the things I enjoy least. Stevie Wonder isn't actually your original name, is it? It was something... Steve Lund Morris
3: is actually my real name. L'Morse? Steve Lund Morris.
4: Oh, Steve Morris. Get yeah. together Yeah, I will in a minute.
3: <laughs> I
4: hope. And I always buy your bread. That's, that's something I'm not going to say either. You're going to get me. <laughs> You've got a dozen gold records on your wall. Well, I assume they're on your the wall. I don't know what a person actually does with his gold records. You...
3: Most of them on the wall and
4: on yeah. the floor. So, somebody, I've often wondered what a gold record is worth, whether it's really, because they look like they're made out of solid gold.
3: I was trying to check one out the other day. Yeah. Worth <laughs> in
4: open? You know. Probably find there's an old Cast Daily record in there with <laughs> uh, gold all
3: over it. You, You're a composer. Yes, I, uh, Fair to say. I write the uh, melody and music to most of my songs. And uh, yeah. the lyrics are written by Cerita Wright or uh, Sylvia Moy, who is also at uh, Motown Records, as a lyricist. writes a lot of the songs, the lyric. I'm very bad. I was very bad in school on poetry, so I definitely am not a lyric
4: writer. Yeah. And how does a song come to you? Do you have to sit down to write it and, and intend to write it, or can it come to you suddenly when you're not expecting it?
3: It's all a, a matter of inspiration, or it's a, I guess the day, whatever happens to me within a particular day, encourages me to write. Or a certain uh, person or certain people that I meet or wherever I go, you know. I might write a song after leaving here. Depends on how it turns out.
4: (laughs) Will you let us know? And if it turns out nicely, I'll... uh... I'm
3: not going to give you a percentage of it, though.
4: (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Notice how I come back with witty comebacks when someone's... (laughs) Now later. Well, on, no, no no, no. <laughs> no, no. Says you. <laughs> How's that? You've uh, has any of the fun gone out of performing for you that you used to have when you were when you were little, Stevie Wonder? I never hear anybody call you little Stevie Wonder anymore.
3: I hear a few disc jockeys You say that every once in a while, I want to knock them upside the head. But yeah, but um, actually, it's 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 still very exciting. I uh, just had the pleasure of going to Australia. It was wow. definitely together.
4: Australia is together? Sydney. I hadn't heard that That it was... It's together. ...not together or
3: anything. Well, you never know. You know, so much is happening today. It might just... Come apart? That's
4: right. You're speaking about geology now, an earthquake and that kind of thing. Well, you never, never, never,
3: never, 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 never,
4: I want 10 percent
3: of I, that. I, 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 that's immediately out of the question. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, as Taurus the Bulls, we like money. <laughs> are you a Taurus the yeah. Bull? What sign are you?
4: Uh, I—it always slips my mind. I mentioned—I think I'm a Scorpio. Does that? Uh,
3: Copernicus. <laughs> but Scorpios, I, what, I, I think, are very good people. Basically, very good people.
4: But. There are exceptions, I suppose. Or not.
3: <laughs> Keep on talking. We'll find out.
4: <laughs> you, I heard that you were getting married. Are you marrying a musician?
3: Yeah, a musician? She plays, she plays, and... she plays, she plays a two-part. No, I'm kidding.
4: <laughs> I, but is she a, is she a musical uh, lady? Do you require that? Well, Sarita does...
3: is uh, my fiancée who writes the lyrics to uh, a lot of the songs. Also, my mother's done some writing. i got to mention that because she'll be mad at me if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Sarita is... Uh, As a matter of fact, I have an album coming out, Uh, not the one that's out, and I just had an album released, Signed, Sealed, Delivered, but the following album, which basically, uh, I think, is one album that is more me than anything I've ever done. It expresses, or at least I'm expressing the way that I feel about the situation that exists in the world today, uh, the problems, and...
4: That's on the upcoming... We do have a few of those. Well, I hadn't heard of any, but if there are... What's the album called?
3: Uh, I am not sure of the title of the album yet. I think it's going to be Stevie Wonder, The Man.
4: Yeah. All right. How about Dick
3: Cavett's Favorites?
4: (laughs) I want you to think about that. We will return after this message from our local station.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, (laughs) Stevie Wonder. Yes, that's a great interview. That interview. Ooh uh let's see it was let's see does it have any information 12 years ago it was shared but anyway here's another one from 1970 let's check it out mm-hmm.
5: i understand you object to being called a rhythm blues or soul singer
3: well i i try to do a variety of things so i'd like to be just recognized as me being stevie wonder
5: do you believe there's such a thing as soul singing
3: well, soul singing—I think—I <clears throat> think the the wrong interpretation of of the the word is has been gotten. It's been changed so many times. But I think singing with soul, uh, I mean, singing with feeling. So, if you sing with soul, with feeling, you're a soul singer. I just don't like soul singer. I mean, for instance, again, people uh, label—I guess you know—for instance, because you're black, you're a soul singer. You know. Um is I it only I feel that Johnny Mathis sings with soul, you know. And I feel that Frank Sinatra sings with soul, with feeling. The Beatles, I think, uh sing with soul, Paul and John, you know, uh, and George and Ringo.
5: <laughs> General feeling though is that um um black people sing soul automatically. It comes naturally whereas white people perhaps have to copy black men.
3: Well now there's you no know, there again there there are certain there's a kind of music, for instance, uh, the black music, music excuse me, which originates from the church, a gospel church, just like the, the English music, for instance, at the Beatles. There's a lot of writing. Eleanor Rigby, for instance, or yesterday. Um, I think maybe a little while back could have been some of the music that originated from the church in a different way. So we've all been influenced, in a sense, by uh, the church music. Has being blind been a handicap for you? No, I think... I think uh a handicap is only a handicap if you if you make it so and the handicap today is a lack of communications.
5: How does being blind affect your music?
3: Um <clears throat> I think it would be the same even if I uh, were not blind. I'm not blind anywhere, I can see twenty twenty in the dark. <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
3: uh, Are you doing much composition lately? Um I have an album I think that will be released in about 3 or 4 months and it is very different. Um, this particular album I did <clears throat> the uh, instruments, I played drums, bass and the uh, clavinet piano and uh, a lot of the, a lot, or at least most of the songs except for maybe one, uh, me along with Miss Rita Wright, uh, we wrote together. This is my first album that I produced. Mm-hmm. It's going to be released here? It better
5: be. You're the um, biggest solo act on Motown label. How successful are Motown
3: in the States? Uh, Very, very successful. Uh, At this particular time, uh, I think the the Jackson 5.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, let's continue with part 2, 1970, the Stevie Wonder interview. The Stevie Wonder interview. Okay.
3: Uh, at this particular time, uh, I think that the Jackson Five and the Temptations are the, the uh, two biggest groups that we have now. Although the Supremes are, have been big for years. I'm speaking of only currently, right now.
5: Motown started as a black label. Will it always be limited to this?
3: Well, uh, we have uh, recently uh, started a new label, which, was, which is the Rare Earth label. And a lot of the rock groups have signed up for this label. There's a group called The Rare Earth that have a very big record in the States, which was written by Smokey Robinson entitled Get Ready. I, I believe you're getting married. When's this going to be? Hey! I'm not going to talk about that. I might <coughs> spoil all my chances of meeting somebody. <laughs> When's it going to happen? Um... In about four or five months. Perfect. Stevie, thank you very much.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that was Stevie Wonder. Thank you for listening, and I hope Stevie Wonder listens as well. You all have a wonderful day.